podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Good day, Phil. How are you? Morning. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Enjoying the sunshine. Been enjoying the football so far. And of course, uh, the end of Q school. It was all very exciting, but nice to be here again. It's absolute scorchio, isn't it? We Yeah, it really is. Bit too warm for me at times. I've got to get the factor 50 out, but happy to do it. Very, very much so. And uh, well, uh, as I mentioned last time, I, I, I was in Shetland and it was absolutely ridiculous at times that this very hot weather we're having even spread there when we were getting the, the facts of 30 from from boots absolutely ridiculous yeah. really but, yeah. but but as you say it us here in in myself in london you close by in reading it really is extremely hot but let's not be too uk centric um we, we are as you say enjoying the start of the euros and already we've we've managed to make a link to the pod but we're going to try and link every summer event if we can to the pod and of course, Calvin Phillips shone for England, didn't he? Created the goal. Only mentioned on Talking Snooker last week, Phil. I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we're pretty topical, aren't we, you know? Yes, yeah, fine, yeah. It was Peter Lyons who gave Calvin Phillips a shout, saying he comes into the Northern Snooker Centre on a, a semi-regular basis for games of snooker. Um, and yeah, he was superb against Croatia. So, I don't know, who should we mention this week? So, hopefully they play well against the Scots. Harry Kane must be a big snooker fan. He looks like he could be. <laughs> he seems to like everything else in sport. Yeah. Well, um, yes, I've already got visions of, of very tenuous links coming up with the Tokyo Olympics, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of sh- shooting silver medalist that we can somehow uh, link link back to some geographical area or other. As long as it weaves back to this podcast eventually, that's really the priority. Yeah, we'll do our best. There must be a way. But uh, we, we are enjoying the start of the Euros, of course, and, and, and uh, summer underway here in the UK. Uh, no snooker uh, in terms of the, the new season, but as Phil said, Q School has once again been, well, entertaining us, certainly in terms of following the results. And, well, it's, it's been as brutal and as tough as ever, and it has now come to an end. And we know that six more players, Phil, have won themselves new two-year tour cards. We had Ian Burns, Dwayne Jones, Lei Peifan and Dean Young making it through uh, with their uh, performances on the table, making it through to the last four of the third event. And then two more players uh, awarded tour cards by virtue of finishing third and fifth, respectively, in the order of merit. Hamad Mia and Mitchell Mann. So actually only one new name in Dean Young. That's obviously a great story, Phil. But the all-encompassing thing to say first is that I mean, Dwayne Jones himself said he never known a harder Q school. Lots of big players missing out. So tough, grueling. And for those guys that made it, God, did they earn it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, coming through that third uh, event must be so nerve wracking and absolutely devastating for the people who just missed out. Um, some, As you said, some real big names not making it. I think everyone sort of, Michael White was one of the favourites to get through. Didn't do it. Michael Giorgio, Sahil Vahidi, uh, Rod Lawler, we said we were looking at just before we started recording. He's been on tour since 1990. Um, so <laughs> big loss there. And James Cahill, um, he could keep going on by Lang Ning. I think people expect to do well as well. And they did really. I mean, they've won a lot of games, but 
you really need to win a lot to get through on that order of merit if you don't win uh, if you don't win any of the events. Um, and it's going to be tough this year for the guys who miss out because Michael White, of course, wasn't a pro last year, but he played in everything because um, there were a handful of players that didn't play in anything really. But we're not sure what the situation is uh, going to be like this season. There's no Steve Mifsud who doesn't play in anything to to grab his place for a, for every event. So it's an uncertain future for those guys, um, especially because we don't know what's happening with the Q Tour or anything. It's um, these guys who who haven't got the professional status don't really know what they're going to be doing in the months and years come. So tough time for those guys. We wish them the best. But yeah, absolute congratulations to the people who are back on tour or in Dean Young's case, on tour for the first time. It'll be very exciting for the 19-year-old. He's been spoken about as a one to watch for a while now, and I'm sure everyone will be keeping an eye on him this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we did talk about him a fair bit when we had a question about Scottish players, I, I think, mm -hmm. if memory serves. He, he, he appeared in the shootout, didn't he? And, and obviously in a very different format, but certainly showed some of his you know, talents when we saw him on television there. And actually, he spoke about that since qualifying. It's been quite important for him to to have that big stage and you don't get you know <laughs> much more of a of an education in a sense in that the crowd are hollering and yeah. shouting at you so you know he, he, he had the bear pit first and now it'll all be a lot more relaxed for him hopefully won't it but uh yeah i watched back that frame so he beat david grace at the shootout uh last year i think um and obviously as you say it's a very unique environment but he showed showed off some long potting and he showed off some very sensible shot choice i think for a teenager choosing to play safe um, which isn't easy, always easy to do, as you say, in that atmosphere. But yeah, he's been seen as sort of a, com um, a coming star as a for a while. He won a Challenge Tour event when he was only 17, beat some very good players there. Uh, I think that was in Belgium. Um, and yeah, he's sort of, we, yeah, we, I think we, the question we were asked was um, who to look out for in Scottish snooker because there didn't seem to be too many coming through. Mm. And he, he's been the one to look out for for a while. He says he's practised with uh, Scott Donaldson and that's helped him a lot. So yeah, um, he's he's definitely got the talent. We'll see how he gets on. It'd be it'd be interesting to see because yeah, it's a, I don't know if it is unusual really. Only one. I've not looked back at previous years. Just one new player on tour. Maybe it is. It has become like that because people do tend to bounce back. Um, so yeah, he's he's probably the most interesting name in there. Yeah, it feels a bit of a shame there's only one. But uh, as you say, we, we couldn't ask for a much more interesting uh, player to look at, and he's one of those characters you, you think is he really 19 when you see him interview because he seems so mature and you think mm. was I that mature at 19 as I was <laughs> moving from pub to pub at York <laughs> in the first year of my degree missing all those lectures Let, let's not ponder on that <laughs> too much um and let's let's bring a bit more uh, detail for you on what's happened at Q School in this third and final event Ian Burns uh, one of those as we said to regain his professional status after being relegated earlier this year. Uh, he sealed that tour card with a 4-1 win over Mark Lloyd. Actually, a, a pretty good run from Burns, it has to be said. Uh, Liam Davis, UQ Chang, Sahel Vahidi, Simon Blackwell, and then Mark Lloyd. And he talked afterwards about um, a new arrival in his family. He said, my little boy was born back in January, so there is, there is that going on in life as well. I think it spurs you on a little bit to not do it just for myself, but for the family as well. Obvious thing to say, Phil, but that kind of life event can sometimes help a player along the way, can't it, and give you that extra motivation. I mean, it's quite a, a basic way of saying it, but I guess it's, it's putting food on the table, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. You see it in a lot of sports. It sort of focuses the mind, which is strange because it must be a huge distraction in one way, but it does seem to help sportsmen, sportsmen and women uh, when they get back to doing what um, what they're doing professionally. Um, and so, yeah, good to see for him. And especially, yeah, you don't, you don't want to be losing your job just after you had a kid. That's uh, No one wants to do that. No, of course. And on to Dwayne Jones then, who booked an immediate return to the tour. Uh, he beat China's C. Jehu 4-3 in his final uh, game. He was actually already assured of a place on tour due to his position on the order of merit, but he did it on the table, did it in style. Now, he has had a few good runs over the years, hasn't he? The, the semi-final run in the German Masters in 2019 is the one that really comes to mind. I had a little check last night about his run there, and he, he beat Jack Lisowski and Ding Junhui on the way, so he has got the beating of top players, but he started from a low base, though, actually, because he actually recorded just nine tournament wins uh, last season. So we know he has the talent, but I guess he'll have that bit of extra motivation now, thinking that was a real kind of low point that season. It was a bit shorter season than normal because of COVID, but still, that's, you know, not a very impressive record of match wins. So he'll be looking to put that right when the new campaign kicks off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that German Masters semi-final really sort of stands out on his record because it's an awful lot of first round, second round defeats and then out of nowhere that, that semi-final run. So whatever he found that week, he's going to be looking to find that again. He's clearly good enough to to be there because he's been there since 2015, I think, on tour. So, uh, yeah, hopefully this will uh, be a kick up the backside and he'll uh, rediscover his best. Now, we know we've been around snooker long enough, Bill, covered it long enough to know that Funny little things happen, don't they, in, in this game? And I had to write these words down from Dwayne Jones, who tells us about an incident during the, the, the third set of matches at Q School. In round three, I went for a bit of breakfast before the match and couldn't get into my hotel room. The card wouldn't work. We tried for an hour and a half and I thought I wouldn't make it. I came over to tell the tournament director that I might not make it. Eventually, we managed to bust the door open with spanners, crowbars and tools. It was all coming out. The hotel allowed me to do it to make my match. I'm very lucky to even be here. Now, I know it's a first world problem, Phil, but I stay in a lot of hotels. I'm sure you stay in your fair share yourself. <laughs> Those cards can be a nuisance. I mean, I know yeah. the old days of keys, you can lose them easily. But the number of times I've traipsed down to reception and said, guys, this card is not working. Frustrating. But well, I haven't had to get the old crowbars and spanners out so far. And that, that's, that, that sounds quite a dramatic, uh, dramatic interlude there for the Welshman. Really does. It sounds like they've sort of panicked and it probably could have got a card that worked, but they just turned to the tools instead. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately in my queue. Um, but yeah, I mean, glad he got in because, um, yeah, I mean, this, we've said this before, going down to sort of the last black and it's your job for two years on the line. Um, and so, yeah, you wouldn't want to lose out because the, your hotel card's not working, bloody hell. Um, so, yeah, glad he got that sorted, but I'm sure it didn't help his nerves when he was turning up to play. Absolutely right. So he, he'll be back on tour, and uh, Le Pei Fan will as well, still just 18. Uh, some of these guys are, are so, so young still. You think they still have so much time uh, to really uh, progress in their career. Uh, he beat some really good players, actually. Jed Mann, Patrick Wallace, Ben Merton, Sanderson Lamb and Billy Castle, uh, beating Billy Castle 4-2 in his final match. I think he was already also assured of a place through the order of merit, but 
again, like Dwayne Jones did it in style uh, on the table. Now, he's never been beyond round three at a ranking event. So, you know, there's definitely room for progression there. But, you know, again, like anyone that comes through Q school, in a way, you've already shown you've got something about you, haven't you? Yeah, and he finished top of the order of merit. So it showed uh, how consistent he has been through all three events, even though he didn't win through the first two. And I think I think that's how he got his his first two-year card in 2019. He finished top of the... Um, or maybe didn't finish top. He came through on the order of merit. Yeah, and I, when I've seen him, I thought he's looked quite good, actually. Um, I was quite surprised to see him drop off. And as you say, he's only 18. He can get a lot better. I think I saw him when I was in Wales at the Welsh Open. He only narrowly lost 4-3 to Lasowski in the first round. And Lasowski looked in a bit of bother against him. So, yeah, I think he's potentially got a very bright future. Um, quite, a, uh, quite a snappy dresser as well. I remember being quite impressed with his shirt there. So uh, more to come from him on, on that front as well, hopefully. Well, that's what you'll say about you, to be fair, Phil. Um, <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> um, on to Dean Young then. Um, probably the biggest story of Q School, I think it's fair to say, pound for pound, if you think it is the only new player on tour. And uh, yeah, there is a certain excitement about, about him. As you say, we did have that question about the worry about lack of players from north of the border. Obviously, tremendous uh, you know, history with with wonderful Scottish players we've known over the decades. So it's good to see that this young Scott is now uh, going to be on tour. He beat Matthew Roberts, Florian Newsall, Dylan Emery and Mitchell Mann before then a 4-1 win over Hayden Pinney in the final round. As you say, he said, um, practising with Scott Donaldson, of course, has won the Championship League in recent times has made, uh, you know, a big difference. And it's obvious, isn't it? But when you are practising with those guys that have been there and done it, you're learning from them. You're like a sponge, aren't you? You're taking all the best bits, hopefully, and, you know, incorporating those qualities into your own game. So, you know, it's really it's really, it's really, really sort of um, evident, isn't it, when those guys practise with the experienced guys that have been on tour for some time. And that's clearly what's happened here. Yeah, definitely. And you can, players say that a lot and they really thank their sort of more experienced practice partner for helping them bring them along. And Donaldson's a great player and he's apparently he's, he's very sort of rigorous in practice as well, which you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, that's worked really well for for Dean. And, um, yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's uh, so much Scottish uh, history in Scottish snooker. So it's good to have the next cab off the rank, as it, as it were, to come through. And, yeah, you're going to get a lot of support, hopefully, when uh, when the fans come back. And it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I've enjoyed the little World, World Snooker Tour videos they put out, nice interviews with the players. Actually, they're really good. So we must give WST some nice credit for that. They've, they've been very interesting. And Dean Young was actually saying that, you know, he, he had no other plans. You know, he's made, he, he had no, you know, backup or, yeah. or anything else. And you know, it seems funny to tie that into Rod Lawler, who's decades older, but it, it 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 makes you know brings into focus again for those guys that they, they've never done anything else and it, it's like yeah there is no fallback sometimes because I mean we all we all we all tend to be focused on our career and think goodness we're, we're struggling if we know I'm sure me and you would probably think what earth are we going to do if, if yeah. suddenly journalism dried up back yeah. on the bins maybe Phil you know <laughs> but but you know it's interesting isn't it because but in a way maybe that focus to mind for Dean Young he's like no. I'm going to be a snooker pro. I'm going to be on the tour. This is my only focus at the moment. Yeah, well, we've spoken about this before, how tough it is Q School, because you're fighting for your career. 
I mean, I did that piece with Sahail Vahidi just before Q School, and he was saying how how much of a struggle it's been being on tour anyway, sort of the lower end of the rankings, you're not earning very much money, can be a sort of miserable experience at times, but at least you were on tour and able to earn some money. Now, you know, he faces a very uncertain future. I'm not sure what his plans are going to be. Now he's lost his professional status. Uh, so, and uh, there's an awful lot of players in that situation. And um, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, and it, for the people who get through and didn't have to come up with a backup plan, then great. But yeah, there's going to be some snooker players scratching around for a backup plan now. And it's tough. Um, so hopefully they'll be able to get clubs open and they can do some coaching and stuff. Hopefully the Q tour can get up and running. So there's a chance to earn some money that way. Uh, and yeah, it's going to have to get going soon for those guys. Yeah, no, good way of saying it. And uh, well, we're, we're recording this on Monday morning in the UK. So we're, we're a few hours away now from Scotland making their first appearance at the uh, well, at any major tournament since 1998. And Dean Young said he'll be back in the snooker club today, having a few drinks and watching that. So what, what, what a dream sort of couple of days for that young man. <laughs> yeah, lovely. I mean, he wasn't even born last time they played in a major tournament. So yes. this is his very first chance to see them, which is great for him. Very much so. And then there were two more players, two Englishmen making it through the order of merit. Again, both players returning to the tour. Uh, Hamad Mia, who, well, he won. I was checking how many matches he won when he was last on tour in the 1920 season. Very few, actually. So he'll certainly have the motivation to do better. Uh, Mitchell Mann, who is a, is a former semi-finalist at, uh, at a big event, the Paul Hunter Classic. Well, actually... Sometimes quite a lot of the top players don't play at the Paul Hunter, but still, it, mm -hmm. it's still something to be noted. And uh, But again, last season, he suffered a lot of first-round exits, so uh, plenty of reason for him to, to put that right in the coming campaign. And I guess like all snooker players now, you know, it's like Peter Lyons said when he joined us last week, the start of every season of the summer, you still probably think, this is going to be the campaign for me. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think Mitchell Mann... Is actually quite good, isn't he? Really, he's sort of better than his results suggest. He's whenever you talk to sort of Kyron Wilson, Judd Trump, that lot, he, he came through with the juniors with those guys, uh, the Sowski and players like that. He's a similar age to all those guys, and uh, he was in there scrapping away with those top players as uh, as a junior. Came through at the same time, um, and obviously hasn't done as well as those three, but um, he certainly can compete at that level uh, if he can find his best form again. Um, but as you say, he's struggled for results recently, but he's definitely good enough to be on tour and hopefully he can kick on. Indeed. Uh, so they're the, the players that have got new two-year tour cards. But as you were saying earlier, some really big names. I mean, Michael White, former ranking event winner. Uh, Michael Giorgio, former shootout winner. Uh, James Cahill, who's such an interesting one, isn't he? He's, he's recorded so many you know, big wins, famous mm -hmm. wins, none more so than, of course, beating Ronnie O'Sullivan at the Crucible. Well, he, he didn't make it. Rod Lawler, as we said, who's been on the tour for decades. Ross Muir, who looked like he was in such good form. Sahel Vahidi, who I know you've had so many interesting chats with lately. So, you know, there is strength in depth there. And when you see the list of those names missing out, you know, that all, that's all you need to say in a way about the strength and brutality of Q School, isn't it? That list. Yeah, and they talk about the standard in the game. I mean, those players are all good enough to be on tour. <laughs> As you mentioned, they're good enough to win events on tour um, and they're not going to be there, which is, yeah, it shows how good how good the standard is these days. And, yeah, when that Q tour gets running up uh, get up and running again, then 
it's going to be some serious standard there as well. Um, and yeah, as I say, hopefully some of them will be able to play when, uh, and they certainly will when some, because not every player plays in every event. So as I said, Sanderson Lamb's at the top of the, the list of non-qualified players. So he'll he'll get a few games. Georgie was just behind him. So hopefully he'll play too. Um, but yeah, David Lilly on there, just won the seniors. He would have fancied his chances as well. Confidence and form after after that win. Missed out. So yeah, an awful lot of good players. And uh, yeah, best to look to them with whatever they have to do now. No, definitely. And it's just come to my mind, actually, to to uh, plug something that I'm sure many of our listeners will have already have heard, that Steve Dawson was on the Snooker Scene podcast, mm. uh, their latest episode. And, you know, he, he was very much um, you know, parroting that same mantra that, 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 that Barry Hearn did. And I, I'm sure we'll see, in many ways, the continuation of the Hearn years, in a way. He was saying, yeah, you know... It, it's that cutthroat element that is for them an important part of snooker. And, you know, it, it is an important part, part of sport. And I guess sometimes we, you know, we, we mustn't maybe go down the route too much of, of feeling sorry for everybody because that's the nature of sport It is cutthroat it's brutal. And that's ultimately why we tune in, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always got to be losers. Um, and especially in this event, it's a, it has to be brutal in because, you know, anyone, Anyone can enter, as we said before, me and you could enter it if we wanted to, if we wanted to throw a thousand pounds away. Um, so you can't reward people really in this one, but uh, yeah, but you can still feel bad for <laughs> missing out. And uh, I certainly do. Yeah, no, good way, fair way of saying it. Um, so that's, that's Q school then. And uh, well, it's certainly entertained us over the last uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just give a shout out to Tony Knowles for winning some games and Everyone was following his progress. I think it was everyone was quite invested in that story to see if he'd get back on at 65 years old. And it, he came pretty close. He gave it a very good go. I think some people were expecting him to really badly struggle, but he didn't. He showed uh, he showed he can still do it. Um, but yeah, just missed out. But a great effort from him. Exactly. And as we said, you know, that rock star of. Uh, uh, of yesteryear look that he that he's sporting we hope to see that again don't we and well uh, and he's shown us at the seniors I'm sure you're playing lots of those events you know that, I, I guess that's the, the enjoyment of playing those and some of the nice play he's shown in those probably was the reason he did decide to have another go we'll, we'll hopefully see, see him on that more of those events are being televised and yeah it's uh it's such a nice sort of burst of yesteryear to see Tony play and as you say you know he he did play quite well he still got it but it obviously when you're in his 60s the old break building skills are not quite as they are so he's got a bit of that witchcraft and and tablecraft i think rather than witchcraft take a, <laughs> a lot of the table probably some witchcraft as well yeah no i quite like that way of saying it yeah some, <laughs> some dark arts that, that could uh, catch on um he's got that tablecraft and he's got it in abundance but it's obviously those break building skills that are that, that are left wanting at times but let's hope to see more of it mate because we enjoy that as we say we're we're enjoying the seniors more and more and players like Tony really enhance that, that those events, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a seniors uh, event quite soon, actually. I should check that. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be back at that. And um, I'm sure it'll be even more of a force after he's got all this match practice in and hopefully he's been enjoying it. He said he was enjoying the, uh, the practice again. So uh, yeah, could, uh, could be a contender on the senior tour now. Very much so. And uh, well, we, as I say, we did thoroughly... It, enjoy following Q school as brutal as it was it certainly gave us lots of talking points and 
big names missing out and some interesting players back on tour. And in the case of Dean Young, a very exciting new player on tour. Um, move away from that. We had a bit more news on the calendar for the 21-22 season. Uh, and a lot of snooker players will be heading to Leicester uh, for quite a few weeks because the Morningside Arena uh, in that fine city will host the British Open in August, the long-awaited return of the British Open, plus also Championship League uh, and the qualifying stages of various events too, and the shootout, I believe, later in the season. Um, so that's interesting. And uh, I, I was thinking, Phil, you know, I've been to Leicester a few times lately for football and really enjoyed my visits there, uh, mooching about the cathedral, nice little walk down by the river to the football ground. And it's hard to think of, of many more impressive sporting cities in a way with a football club there, big fairy tale wins they've enjoyed lately. They're winning the cup recently, of course. Uh, very successful rugby club over the years. And uh, Grace Road, of course, where Leicestershire still play cricket and a race course. And now big time snooker. Bit of a capital of sport, that town, isn't it? Yeah, it's becoming so, and maybe it's a fitting tribute to the new world champion uh, to take take uh, all these snooker events to his hometown. I'm sure he'll be delighted with that very simple commute for him. Um, yeah, I've never been to the Morningside Arena. It's been a host of um, a few darts events as well. So they've obviously got a good relationship across the two sports. Um, and yeah, the British Open especially, um, everyone will be excited about that. First big event of the season. And those qualifiers, they're doing the Turkish Masters qualifiers at the end of August. Um, and they'll have more, more onus on it than most, I should think, because all the players are keen to get to Antalya. You don't want to be losing out in Leicester and missing out on the trip to Turkey. So they'll be, uh, they'll be worth a watch. Uh, we'll follow the frame scores anyway. I don't think we'll be able to watch them. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, I uh, might try and get up to the British Open. That'll be a good one to go and visit, I think. Yes, it will. It's quite nicely timed as well. The Olympics will, will have been finished by then and football just starting, but obviously very early. So hopefully a nice slot. And that in many ways will feel like the start proper of the season, won't it? With all due respect to the Championship League, which we'll enjoy following and we'll certainly talk about on here. Uh, also, the dates have been pushed back a bit, unless I'm, I'm, I'm misjudged in saying that. We're now kicking off on July the 18th with the Championship League. So... Um, yeah, it means a, a few more weeks of entertainment without actually action on the table here, here at Talking Snooker. But as I said before, Phil, I actually welcome that. I like breaks in sport. I think they work. And a nice sort of two-month break after the Crucible will mean we'll, we're even more raring to go, won't we, when the action begins? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I thought that as well. I couldn't remember the original date, but I've dug out the article I wrote when the calendar came out. And it was the 4th of July that was penciled in. For the, uh, for the Championship League when it was first on. So it has been pushed back uh, by a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a long old break without watching any snooker at all, really. But uh, we'll definitely be very keen for it when, when it starts. And as you say, especially the British Open, I'll, I'll certainly be watching the Championship League and uh, the players will be up for it. Uh, and, it's a, and it's a ranking event now, so it's uh, definitely worth, uh, worth playing properly in and I'm sure they'll do proper pre preparation for it. But, yeah, when that British Open comes around in August... We'll be salivating at the prospect of it on TV, I think. It'd be great. One thing I'll say about Leicester, it's one of my most unhappy sporting memories in Leicester was when I went there, I must have been nine years old in 1998, uh, when Barnsley got relegated from their one season in the Premier League and we lost at Leicester City to confirm our relegation back to, well, it was Division One then. So there was a quite tearful young Phil Haig there getting quite upset, but... Uh, uh, so yeah, that'll, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forgive Leicester on that front.
and I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> would you like me to accompany you to Leicester when we go for the snooker? Maybe you know, so it help, doesn't bring help, back awful memories. Yeah. Help with some of those demons. <laughs> now we've all we've all got we've all got we've all got those uh, those unfortunate pieces of sporting baggage in 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 our, in our memory banks, haven't we? Um, but yes, we will in a snooker sense certainly uh, look forward to many of those events being in. Lesser. Just to clarify a few of those dates then, uh, July 18th to 23rd will be stage one, week one of the Championship League. Then from the 26th to 30th, it's stage one, week two. Then in August, stage one, week three from the 2nd until the 6th and stage two and three between the 9th and 13th. And then the British Open from August 16th to 22nd. And we'll cover that with all bells and whistles here on Talking Snooker, then Turkish Masters qualifiers, and then at the end of September, September the 27th, up until October the 3rd, the Turkish Masters. As you say, Phil, a lot of players, you know that, I mean, you know, I've been to Turkey quite a few times in my life, Istanbul actually, which is an absolutely magnificent, wonderful city. Don't know much, so much about Antalya, but um, well, I, I know the temperatures will be pretty special, and it's quite nice in Britain that time of year, but it's going to be Scorchio with knobs on over there, isn't it? So the players will be so anxious to get out there. As, you, as you've already suggested, maybe, with, with your good lady, a few other halves might be saying, hello, can I, can I maybe tag along for that one? Yeah, I think there'll be some extra pressure from, uh, from the families at those qualifiers in Leicester. You better win this because we've got our summer holiday booked. Because um, ho hopefully allowed, by that point... We're allowed, of course. Yeah, hopefully. well, exactly, yeah. Hopefully by the end of September, we will be allowed to go and do some stuff. Um, so, yeah. No one will want to miss out on that trip to uh, Antalya, which, you know, I've been to Istanbul as well, but I've never been to Antalya. Um, but it looks looks absolutely amazing. So, yeah, one not to miss, hopefully. Definitely. And, uh, well, we'll look forward to those events uh, to come. The new season just over a month away now. Um, we've had some more correspondence. I know we caught up with it in, in great detail a couple of weeks ago, but we have had some, some more. So let's, let's turn to those now. First of all, we've got Colin Johnston, on email who uh, contacts us as you can too talking snooker at yahoo.com colin says ahoy hoy from a snooker enthusiast since the early 80s and all the way through since keen to get your views on the topic of what makes an exciting snooker match i know everyone has their own preference and i can and have appreciated every aspect of the game over the last 40 years I know it's more the way of the modern game, but I at times struggle when a match is highly praised as being a really good game of snooker, when each frame is being won at one visit. One frame after the next, if large breaks are made, and therefore no frame is getting down to the colours. I can appreciate that, but for me, a good match has to at least have some frames that get to the colours, as that's only where the real drama and excitement appears. Throw in a frame in a match when the black ends up over a corner pocket with plenty of reds left and a gripping 20-minute collection of glancing safety shots ensues until the black finally disappears and then you have a really great eventful match. Maybe not for all, but there are only so many large breaks and single-visit frames you can watch in a match these days. The lack of drama that that results in, to me, doesn't equal a great match as so often described as such by the pundits keen to hear your views well thank you for contacting us Colin and please do so at any time very interesting uh, question and points you make there um yes 
not just a curry favour with our fans, Phil, but I, I find myself actually agreeing with um, Colin there. I think if I had the choice, I would choose to watch a battle on the colours over a big break. I mean, OK, maybe if it was a, a, a one four seven in five minutes like a Ronnie or something absolutely incredible, then maybe the break would win. But generally, century breaks, as I think we said before, I've heard this on snooker scene as well, possibly a tiny little bit overrated, actually, I think, a tiny bit overrated century breaks. I think, yes, that they're, they're good. They show great skill, but, you know, uh, they're only worth one frame. And maybe that's not quite what we're saying here, talking about centuries, but it does sort of remind me of that. And yes, I like those battles on the colours, I have to say. And if you think about the greatest snooker drama of all time, things like the Black Ball Fire and the Lady Five, it tends to be those kind of frames. And then in recent times, that incredible Kyron Wilson, uh, Anthony McGill semi-final, mm. that was all about, well, it's all about the whole frame, but it was certainly about the colours, the ridiculous things that were happening, yeah. the fluke that Kyron eventually had to win it. So I must be honest, to me, and again, another example, that UK final that finished at one in the morning last season where Judd Trump had that ball to win it, should have made it, Neil, Neil Robertson won it, and they all just stopped, didn't they? And <laughs> I, I got a message from a good friend of mine, actually, very old school friend who said that was almost Shakespearean in its intensity. And I love the way you said that. It was, there was something extraordinary about that climax. And yeah, you wouldn't have been getting that if Judd or Neil had made 70 or 80 won the frame in one visit. So listen, we love all kinds of snooker. That's the beauty of the game. But I must admit, for me, you can't really beat those dramatic battles on the colours and and that phrase Shredsville, we seem to hear more and more <laughs> now from commentators. But what would you say, Phil? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, a, hu a huge part of the entertainment for me of sort of, especially single sports, is sort of the human emotion and the human drama of it. And as horrible as it sounds, sort of the, the nightmares people go through and sort of watching them having to struggle with it is all part of the entertainment. And that only comes from misses, especially in snooker. Um, you know, it's hard for the guy sat in their chair watching the other guy make a century, but uh, that's that's not the sort of drama and the emotions that you get from watching someone miss <laughs> miss a chance they should should get, and then the other guy seeing his sort of tail up and come back to the table. Um, so yeah, for for a properly dramatic game, you need you need some misses, and just faultless century making doesn't doesn't include any of that really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about across a match, you just want to see it all, don't you? You want to see a few brilliant big breaks. You want to see um, some safety battles. You want to see some close frames. Um, certainly just banging in huge breaks every single frame while it's entertaining in sort of a, wow, look at that incredible skill. Um, it doesn't have the drama of, uh, of the cat and mouse and, and the mistakes, really, um, for sort of dramatic games. It doesn't need to be perfection at all. Uh, sort of <laughs> low standards can be just as entertaining or not even a low standard, but like, like you mentioned that McGill-Wilson frame, you know, that wasn't their fault. They wasn't out of poor play that all that crazy stuff happened. It was just a, a mad frame that you couldn't ever replicate, but um, you'd love to see something similar again. Um, but <laughs> I'm not sure we will. It was so unique, wasn't it? I watched that Eurosport um, documentary again quite recently about it. It was brilliant. You forget how much stuff went on. It was like a full match just in one frame. Incredible stuff. It really was. And then to think that we had, what, about an hour's break, if that, and then that Ronnie O'Sullivan and Mark Selby served up 
that that second semi final. Yeah. Another, another another good friend of mine, Steve Douglas. Actually, we've contacted us in the past here. He he's messaged me a few times to say, I still think about that day. You know, and it, and it, it's, yeah. it, it, as snooker people, it does sometimes. I mean, what are we now? Like nine, ten months on, you do sometimes catch yourself thinking, did that really happen on that? Yeah. It was a Friday, wasn't it? Did that did that really all happen? I mean, we, we all have those incredible days in all the sports we love, but that was yeah, that was that was that was really was something else. And even now, it can make you go, "Wow, that was um, that was beyond beyond any kind of script you'd ever you'd ever invent or write." Hey, eh? yeah, I mean, it's one of those where you say, if someone came to you writing a snooker drama and I've said I've written this script for one frame, you'd say. Don't be daft. At least make it like vaguely realistic. <laughs> um, but it did happen, and yeah, I'm sure that uh, I think it was just called One Day at the Crucible, wasn't it? It'll still be on the Eurosport player. So in the in these few weeks, with no snooker to watch, uh, dig that out if you haven't seen it, or treat yourself to watching it again because it's excellent. I probably said this during during one of our pods during the World Championship, but I did actually ask Anthony McGill. I thought I'd press him a little bit gently about his non-appearance on there, and he was like, you know, he. he gave me a wry smile and said you know I'm over it so he says but uh you know I don't want to be you know sitting down talking about it anymore and <laughs> you have to be the harshest man in the world to, to, to blame him for that wouldn't you you know it would be um you know you, you, you every sympathy and Mark Selby appeared but I think Mark's got a few more miles on the clock and he's got a few crucible titles in the bag it's a bit different isn't it yeah, absolutely. I think I think Anthony said a couple of times that that frames cost him a hundred grand, which he doesn't take too kindly to, really. So yeah, um, as you say, you know, it's not you're not a demons or anything, but the idea of sitting down and talking through it wasn't that appealing to him. So fair enough. Exactly. Well, we've had a couple more uh, nice tweets here reflecting on um, the last couple of weeks of our episodes. We've had a, a guest presenter in Marcus Stead and then a guest in Peter Lyons. We tried to differentiate that and uh, when we have players or officials or those involved in the game in that way we like to think of them as guests and when it's fellow writers and broadcasters uh, we like to think they're uh, co-presenters with us so Marcus said fitted into that category and Paul Barnsley on Twitter said Marcus was a brilliant guest class accent as well more please really penetrating analysis and expert content over a wide range of topics the decline of the snooker club in post-industrial places was particularly thought-provoking. Thanks all. And that's, yeah, is clearly one of the big issues we all have to think about and those involved in snooker at the highest level have to try and address. And we said it before, but Marcus was very good, uh, Phil, and he, he's interesting on a whole wide range of, of topics and uh, a, a deep thinker about the game. And we, we obviously, you know, he's someone that we can read in snooker scene and often hear on the radio. And we, we were glad he came on here. Yeah, absolutely. His uh, his knowledge of the amateur game, especially what's going on in Wales, is, un is unbelievable stuff that I haven't got a clue about, really. So very valuable to have on and agree. Uh, just his voice, <laughs> just simple thing, his voice, but is e excellent. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure he'll be back. Um, good point. Good news on the snooker clubs. I've mentioned it a couple of times on here that my the one that I played at as a kid in Sheffield had closed down. But I've been I've been up at my mum's this week visiting and it's reopened as a new snooker club. So that is one piece of good news. Um, I'm not sure it was, it was a Riley's and I think they've struggling in a few places. So uh, it's not Riley's anymore, but it's reopened. I think it was called peaks. So I was uh, very heartened to see that. That's good news. Yes. Yeah, so if you, if you out there have any 
specific news about snooker clubs, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, TalkingSnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us, Talking Snooker. And as you say, yes, Marcus knew so much more about Welsh snooker than we do, but that's fine. A lot of people will know an awful lot more about different aspects of the game than us. We don't hold ourselves down as, as massive experts on every element of it. And that's hopefully what we're going to do, bring in a sort of community of people. We've already started doing that and hopefully can add to all our you know, bits of snooker knowledge that are, that are slightly lacking. And that's hopefully the aim generally of the podcast. Uh, Dave Hendon, that name rings a bell. He, he, <laughs> he contacted us on Twitter. And a uh, great line from Dave, we'll, we'll snooker Bible, of course, says, I believe Peter Lines is still the only player on tour to have a winning record against Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Higgins in multiple matches, counting every event, including shootout, Championship League, etc. 2-1 v O'Sullivan and 6-3 v Higgins. And he's also 2-2 against Mark Williams. I mean, wow. I mean, <laughs> if you can play on tour for decades, as he has, and as John Higgins has, and you have a winning record like that, 6-3, that's, you know, he's very humble, Peter. He wouldn't talk about it, I'm sure, wouldn't big himself up, but that's pretty good, eh? Yeah, very impressive. 6-3, I mean, six games against Higgins. Um, yeah, excellent stuff. And I like, I like it when they include everything. I know, I'm sure everyone who has ever written or anything to do with snooker, the sort of the head-to-head records and what to include and what not to include is always a bit of a minefield, and I think it changes quite a lot. Because especially the Championship League is a confusing one because that always used to be excluded, but now it's a ranking event, so it should really be count in head-to-heads. So, yeah, I think it's better when you just chuck it all in there. You know, they're all games of snooker, even if they're one frame. So, yeah, I like, I like to include it all. It just it just for uh, gets rid of any sort of unclear thinking, I think. Um, so, yeah, even if they're all in, 6-3 against again, superb. 2-1 against Ronnie. Almost surprising, seeing as they've been on tour for so long, they've only played... He's only played O'Sullivan three times. Um, so I'm sure I'll look forward to playing him again if he can. Indeed, but he's got a couple more years on tour now, as we know. And, uh, another nice um, link to that tweet is just, you know, I think for us to say thanks again to Peter. Uh, he may well be listening to us. We hope he is. Uh, he, we knew he'd be good. Um, I think it's fair to say. We, 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 we choose our, our guests pretty carefully, I, I hope. And... Um, he was great value, wasn't he? He was so interesting on a wide range of topics. His love for snooker is profound, isn't it? And I was particularly interested to hear him tell us more about the difficulties and the pressures of having a, a son on tour and just so many aspects of the game that he's so interesting about. So honestly, not just saying this, Phil, I think pretty much everyone we've had on so far, we'd like to have on again, wouldn't we? We want to get some other first-timers first, but... Um, Peter was great, wasn't he? And uh, and wouldn't it be nice to hear a bit more of him in the commentary box in in, in events and, and and months and years to come too? Yeah, definitely. He was superb. Really enjoyed that episode. It was a real fun hour. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's great to talk about every aspect of the game. He's so knowledgeable, been around it for so long. Um, and yeah, definitely. And I mentioned, I mean, this is me just speculating, but I mentioned it to him that um, there's going to be a lot of Championship League. Jason Ferguson mentioned maybe the Pro Series will be back. So there should be some chances for some uh, voices in the commentary box we don't hear too often. So hopefully he'll, he'll get another crack at that. And hopefully some other players. Um, there's been a few, obviously Judd and Jack famously did at the World Championship, but there's been other occasions where people have popped in. I know Mark Allen's done it once or twice, I think, at the shootout. And he, he's really enjoyable to listen good, to. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, just um, why not for a frame or two here and there, just throw in anyone and see what they're like. You never know. 
people people who won't have ever thought about doing it. They could be naturals, and it's just nice to hear from different people. So um, yeah, hopefully Peter and uh, a few other voices will get heard over the over the next season. Was it the shootout where Joe Perry first did it? I think it might have been, and obviously he's gone on to do it in quite a you know significant way. And yes, it, it lends itself quite quite well the shootout, doesn't it? Because obviously they're one frame matches. It's sort of bang bang bang. Lots of action all the time. And I think that's one of the nice elements of it, introducing a few new voices. I mean, not anyone can do it. There's only so many microphones to go around. Course, but, yeah. But, uh, but but yes, you, you know, there are a few that you think, yes, they've, they've got it. Whatever it is, they, they've got that. And, and, and Peter's got it. Whether it's just, you know, the fact that it's such an interesting, nice voice to listen to, which I know you said before, yeah. uh, it's such a nice, pleasant accent and something different to listen to. But obviously that kind of knowledge and weight of experience and... He knows everyone. He yeah. knows everyone on tour, doesn't he? And knows most of them really well. And you can't buy that. Yeah, absolutely. That is that's a huge thing. He's got little stories about everyone. He'll know uh, why they're playing certain shots, what what they're thinking. Yeah, especially Peter. He's I mean, uh, he seems to be very good friends with a lot of people on tour. So it's a, it's an invaluable sort of resource that you can't you can't sort of learn anywhere other than having hanging around on tour for twenty odd years. So yeah, brilliant stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, I find snooker players, and it's very good for our jobs. They've got a lot to say about snooker. They don't get asked about it that often, I find. So when you when you do, uh, they're very happy to talk about it. And yeah, put a microphone in front of them. And uh, I'm sure a lot of them will have a lot to say. Well, Phil, we're going to shoot off pretty soon. But talking about people having microphones in front of them and having some interesting things to say about snooker, now, next week, we will be joined, won't we, by one of the biggest names in the sport. And we are delighted. We're not going to play this call. It's a big coup for us. <laughs> a former World UK and Masters champion will be with us very recently as well. Once again, a finalist on the game's biggest stage of the Crucible. We are delighted to say that Sean Murphy will be on the podcast next week. And, Phil, that will be absolutely brilliant for us. We can't wait uh, to chat to Sean about all matters snooker and his, his very interesting life on and off the table. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really looking forward to that. Um, he'll have plenty of interesting things to say about all manner of things to do with snooker. Oh, I'm sure we could go off topic and talk about anything. Um, yeah, he's got some great views. Um, and yeah, looking forward to that. Um, talk about what's his great run in the Crucible. And he seemed to really sort of have been buoyed by the support he got there and uh, getting the fans behind him. And I'm expecting a good season from him to come because he, he was in great form, got the passion back. And if he can sort those travel problems that he had last season, then it'll be a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, it'll be great to talk to him next week about all sorts. Indeed. As you sort of said there, I'm sure we'll, we'll go back to Sean's long career now and, and the world title in 05 and those younger, those younger years and days for him. But actually, what's happened very very recent it's bloody interesting because mm. as you say it, it was a a thrilling run at the crucible obviously his performances on the table uh first and foremost but but some of that effervescence he gave us and that kind of fist pumping the air delight you know i wouldn't say it was a new sean murphy but maybe a bit of a reborn sean murphy yeah i was gonna say rejuvenated yeah definitely and it, it shows sort of how little you need to do really to get that going you know in in hindsight it was 
three or four fist pumps you know it's not it's not a huge effort but if you put a, put a bit of sauce on it like that then uh, you really can get the fans behind you and make it a bit of experience and uh, yeah fair play to Sean for doing it it was it was vaguely controversial in a way but I don't think anyone really thought that so uh, yeah more of that hopefully that'll be uh, his new thing that he does for the rest of his career. Well, it won't just be Hagen Metcalf giving Murphy an almighty grilling, will it? We're also asking for some views and questions from you out there. We love to have some of your questions for Sean Murphy. So do email us talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or contact us via our Twitter feed, which is Talking Snooker. Two words joined together, Talking Snooker on Twitter or email talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. And mark it pretty clearly that you're wanting to address your questions to Sean. And we'll try and put as many of them as possible, hopefully all of them, to Sean when he joins us next week. But I think that's just about it for this episode, uh, which uh, we've certainly enjoyed uh, recording this morning. Phil, Mm -hmm. you have been delightful company. Enjoy your week. Enjoy following the Euros, big England-Scotland game to come. And we'll reconvene next week with Sean Murphy. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure as always. And yeah, really looking forward to that. So um, yeah, we'll have plenty of questions for him. But as Nick said, get them in and we'll ask yours as well. Um, Hopefully he's not got uh, anywhere to be that afternoon and we'll have a good long session with him. It'll be good. Well, he's been posting some sumptuous golf pictures actually in recent days um, from, uh, I think it was a course in Ireland. um, And uh, so the thing about Sean is he's a sports fanatic. So golf, football, I'm sure we'll... We'll touch on all those, but of course, predominantly the game we all love snooker. That's Sean Murphy next week. And so uh, that's it from me and Phil for now. Keep your thoughts coming in for Sean Murphy or indeed just for us. We, we, we really do appreciate them more than ever now during the quieter weeks and months of summer. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or contact us on Twitter at Talking Snooker. But for now, from Phil and myself, it's Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.